I think this is a big misconception for a lot of founders. Like we've probably only pitched a deck like a few times in the history of Jensen. At the end of the day, you're just kind of explaining stuff to people. The way I see mm. an actual good pitch is you'll have a super quick kind of like overview intro and then it's a discussion. But like if you have this situation where like a VC expects you to come in and for 30 minutes just pitch, pitch through a visual deck, like that's a huge red flag to me because they're yeah. not engaged in that conversation. Cool, okay, well, um, we've got today uh, Harry and Ben from Jensen. Um, we go a long way back uh, on Jensen. I've uh, known the company since uh, the very start of the company in uh, 2020. Um, so yeah, uh, gentlemen, if you could uh, maybe give uh, a brief introduction of the of the company and what what, what is Jensen? Absolutely, um, happy to be here. Thank you for, for having us. Um, I guess the kind of top level of Jensen is that we are a decentralized machine learning compute protocol, which is a relatively snappy title, but not as snappy as it could be. Um, we connect up all of the world's machine learning compute power uh, and provide it as a resource to anyone who needs to train a machine learning model like a neural network. So instead of using one of the major cloud providers like AWS or Google or Azure, you would use any GPU or TPU in the world provided by somebody else. Uh, and it's sort of like instant distribution for every machine learning capable piece of hardware in the world to be used for those training tasks. Um, it's a kind of simple idea that has like an iceberg of uh, technical complexity underneath it. Uh, and that's essentially what the kind of history of Jensen has been so far. It's figuring out how to solve those problems biggest problem is trust. Uh, and that's kind of where uh, Jensen's been focused on uh, solving the verification problem for machine learning compute. So how do I know if I'm sending a task out to a random GPU or TPU in the world, how do I know that's been done correctly? Um, and that's what principally Jensen solves as a protocol. So uh, we're a protocol in the kind of web three sense, but also in the web one sense. Um, we are just a kind of layer that connects up all of this compute. Maybe it looks a little bit like TCP IP from the web one. Um, kind of idea where it's just sort of routing all of the information that goes on with machine learning training. And then from the Web3 sense, it uses the consensus of a group of people to solve disputes uh, about that computation. So if you disagree that the computation has been done correctly, you can kind of use the wisdom of everyone through a consensus mechanism to determine whether it has been done correctly without having to kind of offload that thinking to a trusted third party, which is what you'd always have to do in the kind of traditional world. Uh, and that's like a huge enabling technology essentially uh, to solve this problem you could say that you touch every hot topic right now in the in the in the world of technology effectively <laughs> we do yes it's been an interesting journey with that because we see the kind of rise and fall as we go we've, we've sort of we've been doing this for for quite a long time now we've been going for three and a half years um, we've been specifically focused on this problem for more than two and a half years uh, and obviously in that time various bits of what we do have been more popular and less popular. And it's just interesting to see the sort of like the searchlight occasionally pass over us and say, Hey, what, what you do in this area is now suddenly kind of like really interesting to the world. And it's, it's a bit bewildering to us each time because it's, it doesn't change for us. It's just like the, the thing that we do. And then every so often, suddenly it's uh, it's quite interesting. It's nice to see though, obviously. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about you guys just closed the monster round? Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, that was awesome to see. Can you talk a little bit about um, what was the size of the round? Who was the lead of the round? And then we'll go into kind of how you got to it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we just closed our Series A, $43 million, uh, led by Andreessen Horowitz uh, Crypto, so A16Z Crypto. 
the um the round was also stock full of many of our prior investors um from the from the seed and the pre-seeds our uh our main kind of reasoning behind raising kind of now um was it was mainly it was research driven so we had done a long research you could say like sprint essentially from the moment we closed the the seed round until about february this year basically eve denver uh was when we uh we switched to kind of okay we're ready to raise again it happened that that coincided with essentially one of the greatest uh events in the history of artificial intelligence which was the uh proliferation of, of chat gpt and also the kind of the kind of tailwinds from some of the the generative image models of the, of the previous year like uh like stable diffusion uh and that culminated in a kind of interesting uh a kind of interesting situation whereby there was lots of investors from across the the, the kind of vc landscape so not just the kind of crypto native investors or them or the kind of um multi uh the multi kind of sector funds but also just like the really like old school like trad deep tech investors who are who are interested in it <clears throat> and on top of that because a lot of our work involves kind of proof systems we had the kind of the zeitgeist in the crypto space which was around sort of zero knowledge proofs uh in our side as well so we were kind of i guess interesting as a as an investment from a variety of reasons with Andreessen, we've been speaking to them for a long time, um, probably at that point, about 18 months. And the the kind of thesis we're picking them was twofold uh, to, to lead the round. Um, the first was we'd actually been working with them indirectly through one of their cryptographers who was working with our team to develop um, or to at least provide some guidance on a polynomial interactive oracle proof system, which helped secure the network. Uh, the second point was, we like the willingness of Andreessen to take huge asymmetrical bets in the space and really kind of like be in it for the long term. Um, and you see that in sort of like the earlier investments they made. Like, I think like the classical one would have been like Coinbase, which yeah. at the time, like Coinbase, if you'd asked like the man on the street, like, you know, we're taking LP cash and we're putting it into this company and it, you know, it's selling Bitcoin, which may or may not be like a, you know, a fraudulent criminal asset. And, you know, all the, all the kind of fraud which exists now was like a hundred times worse back then. They still were kind of all in on it. And, you know, obviously it paid off. So working with people like that who are willing to take those long bets is critical for us, given the kind of enormity of, of, of our vision. So yeah, to summarize $43 million round uh, yeah. with, uh, with Adrisa and Salid, and we, uh, that takes our total funding to over $50 million. Harry, here's a question. You, you've been working with them for a long time. Do you feel that the fact that you were working with them for such a long time helped close the round quickly, help them make a decision quickly? Or do you think had you approached them just before because you're kind of in a in an interesting area that they have such an interest in, you, you, you still would have been able to kind of uh, do the round with them? Like, do you feel like how much value do you assign to this relationship that you had built over the previous 18 months? So we certainly assigned a lot to it because we wanted to, you know, work with people who we trusted and we trust them. And one of the kind of, maybe we can talk about this later on in the podcast, one of the kind of issues that we, we've we had during raising is you're making basically a, a, a marital decision almost, but you're doing it in a very compressed time frame. You know, some investors that we've ended up working with who have been great, you know, we've only really been talking to them for like a very condensed period of time prior to the, prior to them kind of, you know, signing the, signing the, the the terms so with Andreessen that kind of you know what was dealt with on their side though 
data center we've been doing indirect technical due diligence on us for like a year because of the the kind of person who was on our team who we had been working with um so that kind of squared that away from them. that said to be honest i think they could have gotten up to speed on what we were doing quite quickly because i think that their research team in particular is the best in the in the space uh it is yeah it's substantially powerful in terms of what they bring to the table uh there are other there are other teams in, in the industry in, in the Andreessen crypto kind of unit are good but that's specifically really good so in short I think it probably sped up a little bit for them uh but I think they could have kind of got up to speed really quickly principally because they had one of the kind of luminaries in the space on the team I don't know Ben if you would if you would add anything to that I'd probably stress that that first point for like for, for new founders where and everyone always says this in kind of like hiring decisions as well like you're both sort of assessing each other right and the biggest thing for us is that um how the relationship's going to be like harry mentioned and it was definitely it made us a lot more comfortable that we knew people on the team we'd been talking for a while we'd been kind of like bouncing ideas around we essentially knew what it would be like post investment because we'd seen every few months we'd had these catch-up chats with them we asked them questions it was basically what you would expect from having an investor on board where you'd kind of get strategic advice you just get their opinion you get the kind of market view we'd had that for 18 months so it just made us so what so much more comfortable to make the decision to go with them because it's there's no kind of unknowns basically you know what is going to continue going forward and that that's only going to ramp up rather than kind of with some investors you think well if i take this money are they going to give me the money and then disappear and actually all the help that was kind of talked about was like only existed to close the deal yeah. that can be a, a concern with huge funds um but we knew that wouldn't be the case uh, which is i think really important for founders because you can get in that position as a founder where all you can think about is the money and you're like, well, I just need to get the money in so I can do what I need to do. And you'll kind of rush things through. Whereas being a bit more deliberate, knowing them, getting the kind of relationship going is super important. That makes I think there's maybe like one final point I'd add to that, which is just on their side, I guess, and maybe you guys from an investor point of view might, might kind of parallel this. When you're dealing with topics which are kind of in, in the zeitgeist, as it were, like machine learning, but have kind of very, very kind of recently kind of swung back into focus the there could be a fear that you know the founders are just riding the hype cycle and they've switched you know uh however like if you know you've been in a conversation with someone about this topic from before it was cool yeah there's something you know to be said for the kind of credibility that offers the the kind, the kind of co-founders so that's one of the other reasons to do kind of longer term relationship building with vcs particularly if you're working in an area which you believe will be popular or more popular, but isn't, isn't right now. Yeah, so this is the first lesson, basically, to invest for, for anybody looking at sort of a fund that they think is there, is the right fund for their next round, to invest the time at building this relationship, making sure they get to know them, making sure that they the, the fund would understand what they're doing over time. So it's, uh, it's, it's sort of, you know, everything's preheated, should we say, before before the round okay let's go into the into the amount i mean you know 43 million that's 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 quite a quite a, quite a series a uh, obviously um how did you decide on the amount like hey how did you get to 43 million what was the driving um uh, force there so it's always a, a kind of negotiation process right like at the end of the day there's a market making a decision here and you've kind of got two sides um, the way that we, the way that it's always gone for us is we go out to the market and we essentially signal what we're looking for, what we need um, to execute on the vision that we have, what we need to reach the next milestone, et cetera. Um, and I think 
what kind of founders maybe sometimes don't realize is that is typically a range. Uh, it starts at the absolute bare minimum that you need where you're actually a bit uncomfortable with that plan. But like, if you get it, you can kind of like get to the the end goal and it goes up to, okay, here's all the other things that I want to do that I think would like drastically increase the uh, ability for us to do this and the kind of outcome in the end. Um, and you go, you go to investors with that kind of range and you discuss and you figure out, okay, where do you like think, what do you think we need to do? Where do you think we sit? Um, does it resonate with you that if we did these extra activities, like, um, can we get there faster or can we get further in the goal? Um, and essentially that was the, the process. So we went to them with a range. We had the discussion, obviously part of it is, is market driven as well. You know, what the market will sort of bear for your uh, company at this stage. Uh, and if you can sort of increase the amount, move up the range, then um, as a founder, that can be really attractive. So essentially it was that we went with a range like we do to everybody. Uh, we discussed that range. We kind of got the feel of the overall market and then we settled into what was a comfortable number for both sides, essentially. Got it. And was the 43 million within the range you went to market with or, or, or did you end up being outside the range in the end? There's actually it was slightly larger than the uh, the original range that we'd envisioned. So we'd we'd sort of set out the, a range where um, it had stretch goals to an extent, but they weren't necessarily as much stretch goals as they were. Okay, we actually really want to do these things, and we communicated that quite strongly to every investor. It was like, well, actually, we we really want to do these kind of other things, but there is a bare minimum, but it's kind of like bare minimum levels, uh, and that's just the way that you you gauge the market. Obviously, what we what we saw was in discussions with investors, in discussions with Andreessen themselves, there were a few things that like even came from their side of like could you do this? Like, is this a, a, a something that Jensen could do over the next 12 to 18 months? And we think, yes, it is. But like, obviously, more cash would enable us to do those things. So it's a bit of a kind of back and forth where you're figuring out, okay, from your perspective, what are the like actions we could take? And then we sort of merge all those actions together and say, what do we need in order to execute on that? Um, and that was where it shook out. And obviously, you, you can't ignore the fact that kind of like market plays a role, right? Like we know kind of what we're worth once we've had a lot of those conversations. And it would be sort of remiss as a founder to kind of come in under your worth essentially it's it's detrimental for the business over the long term so there's a sort of settling negotiation and like discussion process as to how much capital you can actually deploy um and what actions it lets you do and then kind of what the market will bear right now so it sounds like a pretty collaborative approach really um from what i'm hearing I'd say so. Yeah, uh, I think it should be. I think uh, maybe it isn't all the time, but like realistically, um, I think if you are finding the right partner and a lot of the the decision for us was figuring out are, like, are we the right partners for each other? And then once that was done, it was like, okay, yeah, great. We're the right partners. Now let's kind of like figure out how much money is required to do this and like go forward. And that's a really nice position to be in. Um, but that's kind of what you want to aim for, right? You want to aim for like locking the partner in and then, okay, let's discuss what's the best way to like achieve this goal. Yeah. The reason I'm digging into this, uh, into this side is because we often have entrepreneurs that are too scared to go to market with the number that's either too small or too large. They think that the market will reject a large number or reject a small number. And, and in truth, you know, if you have somebody raising capital and, and, and the number they go to market with is, is too small, then, you know, investors may feel that they're not ambitious enough. And obviously, if it's too large, they may think that they're delusional. And so, you know, that that that, that that's always the fear, I suppose, of uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think the, it's it's interesting in like the deep tech, like the deep tech space, which is kind of where I, you know, and I guess you guys are kind of always kind of like classified as in the term, in the sense that we're always, it's like long research timelines, 
it's typically like a little bit more asymmetric in terms of risk because you don't get the immediate customer feedback because you spend more time researching and building. The ability to basically be like, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right because you need like a generally more capital, kind of similar to some of the more like hardware focused plays that, that you see. Um, but also be, you know, the person who can kind of get to market fastest, which usually means even more capital is possibly going to have a first mover advantage here. Um, and then that can basically create like an ash equilibrium, which actually results in for the stage you're at raising more than, you know, someone who's closer to market might already done. Uh, the, so yeah, there's also a kind of thing where I think you can build companies at different scales of funding. So you could build like a version of us, which is a lot worse and won't scale at like, you know, a $1 million series A, just to throw a kind of arbitrary number on it. But then at like a $43 million series A, you build a much more durable version which works so it's just about working out where that kind of like where that kind of you know level lies and as ben alluded to part of that is just the market and the market demand for it i think we've buried the machine learning space you know prior to discovering crypto you know myself on the applied side and, and ben more in the, the theoretical phd side and we saw this stuff in the mid 2010s mm -hmm. and knew it was coming um so we knew it would be a huge crunch and you know the market kind of caught up to it just in time for the series a so that's the kind that's of amazing. yeah the timing was the timing was uh, quite phenomenal um and tell me about the other uh, investors in the round how did you go about choosing the rest of the investors was it again collaborative with the lead were you talking to other investors before you had even agreed the lead like give give us a little bit of background there yeah so we we were talking to other investors we had lots of lead interest for the round. Um, the the round moved faster than we wanted. Um, so to kind of frame it, we we went to East Denver, um, and we immediately kind of felt like a different kind of vibe in the air. I don't know if that's like the best way to describe it, but basically, obviously, tail end of last year, we had like the FTX fallout. There was lots of stuff like that. We'd entertained offers since our, our seed round for like an A or an extension or something from some partners that we liked, but we just thought, you know, we want to do this really well. We want to do this really big. So we want to complete the research cycle first and then, then go out and raise. And there was definitely like a bit of a, a cloud hanging over the space at the tail end of last year. I'm sure everyone <laughs> on this call can probably agree with that. But then in the beginning of, you know, like this year in February and kind of around spring, that seemed to change a little bit. Um, and I think part of it was to do with the wider AI moves. So there were some very large investments being made. I think one of the big, the big ones, which kind of reframed people's thoughts, were the uh, probably the stability AI round, and also the kind of the general like open AI valuations and stuff like that. So that kind of like took the took the safety off a little bit, where people thought, okay, well, there's there's a market here still. Um, and then yeah, we basically said to people that we met that if Denver, you know, look, we've completed the research as of like like a few days ago we want to raise, um, we're going to do it in probably six weeks. Once we've kind of got the materials together, kind of sorted everything out. We were mid hiring at that point, we were still hiring people. And then we basically immediately after ETH Denver, like the day after it got a term sheet. So oh. the, it immediately pushed the whole 
they compressed that six weeks into essentially a 72 hour period where Ben and I didn't really sleep. Uh, the, uh, wow. where we, 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 we had to basically write all the docs for the entire round. We didn't actually raise with a, with a deck. So we had no deck. We just had like a notion page, which read more like a kind of light paper or manifesto, depending on what mid you were in, <laughs> um, for what we were building. And it was, had some supplementary technical material, which described the various cryptographic and game theoretic things we were working on. Um, and yeah, then we went from there. In terms of the ever investors in the round, I don't know, Ben, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, sure. I, I think it was it was interesting because basically because we'd managed to speak to everyone that we already knew at ETH Denver, there were a lot of people who already had the kind of context on like the wider vision of Jensen. And then the sort of raised materials and the discussion process was more about, okay, let's go through the like risks and, and the de-risking process that typically is just like, Mm -hmm. discussing with a VC basically. And the notion page we put together was just like our thesis on each of those things. So it's like, here's how we think about the market. Here's how we think about the technical solution. And because we'd been doing that research, we could kind of essentially provide a map to VCs where they could go as deep as they wanted on any of those topics. So like, if you particularly care about the technical solution, you could read the top level view of it in our notion page. And then you could have a like PDF of like our entire sort of research thoughts that would be like 10 mm -hmm. plus pages long. And you could just keep drilling into any of these areas. And it was a, a nice map for us to give people to say, wherever you want to drill into, here's the kind of like route to go. And then just like pull the information from us, um, which it, it kind of fast tracked the process massively. But it did mean that we weren't in that cold pitching. We need to kind of sell a vision to you stage. Everyone was already there with us. Um, obviously, in that situation, you then got that sort of piece where, there's some investors that we just haven't spoken to yet. We don't have that relationship with. Uh, and then in a round going that fast, you end up just kind of missing each other, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how the process goes. Uh, in the end, it was very similar to the previous round we did, uh, our seed round, where we got so much interest. We had so many really, really interesting parties involved that we had to kind of pick who like who is going to be in this round how are we going to size it it's always a really difficult process to do because at the end of the day kind of everyone ends up like semi happy like you know yeah. not everyone can't be ecstatic because they're not all going to get the allocations they want you're trying to size it so that you get the right people in you get the right partners in um and it is really difficult but we're really pleased like from the seed round yeah. we were super happy with the way it went from this round again super happy uh we got follow-on from uh most of our previous investors everybody wanted to uh that was really nice and then from there it was okay who are the strategic new investors who would be the kind of biggest mm -hmm. value add to us and we were in that sort of favorable position of we get to sort of understand what your value add is and then we we bring you in and that that was yeah. really nice i think one of the awesome. the kind of the kind of disadvantages of it being fast as well was that it was doubly difficult for traditional investors to like access the round because it's moving so mm -hmm. fast traditional investors you know they have like a i guess like when you're building in crypto there's sometimes a bit of a, like a allergic sort of feel towards them like you know they maybe don't <clears throat> have experience you know running network nodes or we need to be you know they don't really understand like the token and, and stuff like that there's definitely some large non-crypto like multi-stage funds that we enormously respect and there's also some uh for lack of a better we're just deep tech funds that we really respect who are basically working in the area we're working in just without the kind of the crypto protocol component. Um, and yet this, the speed of the round just made it kind of hard to to, to connect yeah. with them because there was just this extra kind of 
you know, well, what about, you know, the kind of, the kind of crypto piece to it, which, which, which does complicate things. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the other things that the compressed timelines didn't make easier. What do you think this, the, the, the notion, the notion doc instead of a deck is an interesting, you know, is an interesting point because I've seen a couple of companies recently raise on a notion point and sometimes the no, notion doc, sometimes it, it links to a deck and other times it doesn't. What is your view on decks? I mean, like they seem to be a pretty inefficient way of relaying information. And it's like, if I'm going to be talking and doing a presentation and I, this just guides my thoughts, maybe they work well, but you know, we got into a world where you send the deck to an investor and they need to decide whether they want to take a call with you based on this document, which is pretty inefficient in relaying information. What are your thoughts there? Do you think that we should be raising with decks or do you think sort of a good document, like a notion document is a more sensible approach? Yeah, it's a good question. I think ultimately they serve slightly different purposes. I think a deck you need when you're grabbing attention, right? Like you're selling the concept of the business to somebody who just has no sort of like prior knowledge of your area or what you're doing. And you need to be able to grab someone's attention super quickly. So maybe you've got a warm intro from someone, they don't know what you do though. And you need to really quickly tell them, okay, this is like the essence of what our company is about. Do you want to go further than this? And I think a deck can be a nice way of doing that. That Ultimately, I think like just talking to someone is always the best way, but obviously you've got to get to that stage and you want to grab their attention with the sort of super high level kind of um, information without going too deep too quickly. The Notion page to me is like a much later stage where it's like, okay, yeah, we're bought in on the vision. We get the kind of essence of the company. Now we want to drill into like some areas that we particularly care about. And then just having like, like I said before, like a map, to be able to drill into, I think is really good. It lets people do that like asynchronous research, but pulling from you specifically as the company. Um, so yeah, I would see them as different stages. And I think earlier on in the funding life, like life cycle of a company, like the pre-seed and seed, you're typically more in the, okay, I have to grab people's attention stage because nobody knows who you are. Later on, when you've been building relationships for a while, the people that you're talking to for each round probably have that context. Like you're not really hitting them with a deck. Maybe you'd have a deck with, okay, this is what we want to do next and milestones, but you could just as realistically have that in a deeper piece of information because you know they're already sort of bought in and willing to spend that time rather than uh, the other stage where VCs are like, okay, I want to as quickly as possible decide whether I want to spend time on this or not. I think that decks are visual narratives and notion pages are more of kind of verbal narratives. So if you are like pitching someone, like obviously pitching someone out of a notion page is probably inferior to, to having like a, a very nice like visually kind of consistent and appealing deck uh but the notion gives you the ability to kind of make it almost read more like a like a story which was i think mm. kind of how we framed it where you start with the kind of the promise of you know the next 20 to 30 years if we do go all in on permissionless ultra high scale machine learning and then you work back from there and i think it can be like a, it's quite a, it ended up being quite a long read to, to be honest but it was very you know expansive and also instructive on all the as ben said all the kind of questions that people had which you, you just can't really do meaningfully in a deck which is meant for pitching mm-hmm. i think Makes just sense. on the on the pitching a deck point as well like 
we've probably only this is i think this is a big misconception for a lot of founders like we've probably only pitched a deck like a few times in the history of jensen we typically don't really have a call and like pitch through a deck because it, yeah. it at the end of the day you're just kind of explaining stuff to people the way i see mm. an actual good pitch is you'll have a super quick kind of like overview intro and then it's a discussion it's like a back and forth question answering like that's how you drill through the information but like if you have this situation where like a VC expects you to come in and for 30 minutes, just pitch, pitch through a visual deck, like that's a huge red flag to me because they're yeah. not engaged in that conversation. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the secret of when they ask you to pitch through the deck is when they are unprepared and they haven't read the deck before the call. So they'll join that's and right. they'll be like, shit, I didn't read the deck. Can you pitch through the deck? Because you know, that's going to give them, I mean, that's one of the bad behaviors that we see from, from investors who come to they're, calls they're, unprepared. Probably an interesting correlation there between super early stage founders, though, because if you think about like the earliest part of the market, you know, we, Ben and I, we came from the entrepreneur first accelerator in London and, you know, the EF ecosystem is fantastic. It's got some of the best investors in the world. You know, it's where we first met you, Avilo, but like it's very high volume, right? To, to like, you know, compared to like the later stages of the market where there's just fewer deals. So the kind of time that you could reasonably expect an investor to invest in every single company coming out of every single cohort of every single accelerator you know in the world is is a lot lower and maybe it kind of forces the preferred mode of communications and a being more visual and b being more kind of um less verbose yeah that makes sense um so did the round end up being oversubscribed then in the end when you when you kind of uh, put everything uh, put the composition together yeah i think basically since the past two rounds for jensen have been heavily heavily oversubscribed um just obviously the, the market that we we exist in i think the the investors that we have on board like each time we get a lot of interest um, mm -hmm. And that's what makes that difficulty of like, who is in the round um, and, and how do you pick the people? How do you size the tickets and things? But yeah, uh, th this most recent round, obviously, as soon as you get a name like Andreessen Horowitz um, leading around, then everybody wants to be in that round. So yeah. oversubscription just becomes this like default of the vast majority of people you speak to want to be in this round at this point. Like the pitch is strong. Like we, we kind of know a lot of people already. Everyone wants to get in. And yeah, it just becomes this number just going up and going up and going up to the point where you stop really even thinking about how oversubscribed it is because you're actually thinking about who should be in this and what's the right size for it so yeah it's, yeah. it's obviously a kind of a bit of a sort of champagne problem but it is like a, a difficult thing to, to work but with. it's stressful right i mean it's actually as much as it is a champagne problem it's a very stressful thing for for founders because like a lot of these people yeah. you know you like them they're they're good but you have to take make the hard decisions you know so you know how how did you take the the, the decisions on 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 who to cut out and and who to keep in the fund is there anything that you that you could suggest as a as a uh, advice to to people that are going through the same so i think at the meta level um just like was there a process it was case by case to, to be frank that we didn't kind of have like a kind of criteria a strict criteria I think the most important thing, like if you had to order them, like the top three things, the first one would just be gut feeling. Like the, you can talk about vision alignment, you can talk about, you know, other things, but frankly, like if you just get like a bad feeling from someone, mm. it's probably not worth doing. And that can put founders in like really tough situations where, mm. you know, what if the bad feeling you're getting is from the person who wants to lead you around, you know, like it, it, it can be quite like a, a sticky situation to be in. 
but I think you should generally trust your gut. Um, the second one is actually doing like founder reference checks, which is something that I think is very like strangely like rarely done by a lot of founders that, that we know like they don't they don't do it enough. Um, you can do it kind of more informally through talking to other founders, and obviously that becomes like a problem which gets easier to scale because more founders you have sorry with investors sorry so like the more investors you have in your cap table, the easier it is to kind of DD other investors. And then eventually you basically have the whole, all the kind of edges of the of the graph like worked out because you've, you've mapped the whole space. Um, but yeah, doing founder checks is is really worth doing in, in portfolio and companies. Talking about founder checks, did you ask the investors to connect you with founders that they choose to connect you or did you look up their portfolio and reach out directly to the founders? Because there's always this question, you know, if I ask the investor, they connect me to the founders they have the best relationship with and maybe that's not the most honest thing to do. Um, but if you do it behind their back, if you will, or whatever, then it kind of looks like you're snooping around. Like, how did you approach it? Yeah, both. I mean, I, yeah, both is the answer. You, you, you do okay. both things, yeah. And I think investors are going to do the same, right? Like back channel kind of references are yeah. pretty standard in our industry, right? Like it, it'd be remiss not to do it. Um, but at the end of the day, the good investors know that you're going to do that and they open up the kind of like books. So people like Andreessen will say, basically, whoever you want to speak to, we we can introduce you to. Like you can look through the portfolio, you can look or go and talk to them directly. We, we're kind of like open to it. Um, I've never sort of seen this situation where I think an investor is only trying to put like the best people forward. I think most of the industry understands that we operate on like long-term relationships here and mm -hmm. reputation is like essential. I think some kind of newer funds can underestimate how important reputation is, but like the vast majority of the industry, when people have been around for a while, they understand that like, that's really important. I'd say yeah. as, as a kind of deeper kind of side point to that, if you have a shared um, if you if you have if there's a portfolio which shares one of your original investors and the mm -hmm. new investor, that company's usually one of the best ones to talk to because they right. it controls a bit for the noise because a they probably look a bit more like you or at least the founders have qualities that were mm -hmm. as investable you know as, as as they were in you when the investor did it, um, but b they have like the ability to give you like a an actual like reference point. Because they could say like, well, you know, the GP at Fund A, which we both share, is the most similar to the GP at Fund B who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, otherwise, it, because it can become a bit abstract after a while, like if you don't have reference points in the space. That is very sensible. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, that definitely um, makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So who were the most helpful people companies during the during the fundraise? Like who would you say that, uh, you know, you, 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 you had the best experience on kind of, uh, being responsive, helpful, was it early investors or uh, where would you place that? I think the the early investors, it, it depends on the stage that people invested in. And we've seen with um, the investors on our cap table, like people will be useful at different stages uh, and not just in the kind of linear sense of like early investors are useful at the early stage and later investors are useful at the later stage. You just see that certain people, certain uh, individuals and certain funds will just have good insights. But, 
almost like random points in the company's life cycle. Mm -hmm. We've seen that randomness more with angels, I think, where you can get an angel, you, you get sort of a, a handful of angels in at the early, uh, the earliest stage of the company. Some of those angels will be massively beneficial for the first six months. And then you probably won't really talk again because you've used their benefit. Some of them you won't really talk to for 12 to 18 months. And then suddenly in 18 months time, when you're doing this next round, they'll say, oh, I know these people. Like here's like, I, I can introduce you. I can kind of like talk you through this mm -hmm. stuff. We definitely saw that where different people sort of came out and said, hey, I can be helpful here. I can I, I can guide you or I can do introductions or whatever. I think the most important sort of takeaway for us with that is to basically just keep everyone on the cap table's context as high as you can, just so that you know that they can come out and actually give that help when they know it's a, it, it's required, essentially. So just keeping up with all of your investors, making sure they've all got like as most up-to-date context as possible is super useful. And then outside of that, there's... Um, there's a lot of people in the kind of like another step away uh, network that are super useful. So there were, like Harry mentioned, like getting the back channel references definitely um, helpful, but also just people who've been through this before who are like, okay, I've raised from that VC. Maybe I've like exited since then. I'm in a job now, but I can talk you through the process and how it went with them and, and things like that. So there was quite a few people in our orbit that we just talked to about what was going on and just got kind of advice on it. And it was really really mm -hmm. helpful i think it, it just shows that whole kind of like building up lots of relationships that you don't really know maybe it's not useful right now but it will be useful in the future uh, and we've seen that play out like a lot at each stage got it it kind of intersects um, like a, a more like broad like broad like useful rule for life which is it's generally good to have someone you know irrespective of how you classify the stage like one yeah. or two stages ahead of you who you deeply trust and who you yeah. really respect who can basically just be like don't do this thing. And, you know, sometimes it's the things that you don't do that end up yeah. being the best advice. No, 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 of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. So just moving on to kind of the legal process, what was the legal process like? Like, did you guys have to draft the paperwork? Did the lead provide the paperwork? Like, um, what were the sort of the um, steps there? Yeah, so in this instance, so we we drafted the paperwork and then we we went back and forth on um on terms and things and on on all the the sort of drafting points. Uh, I think each time we do this, it's always it's it's always longer than you want it to be because mm -hmm. both sides by that point have like decided it's happening like you bought in you're basically acting as if it's already been done in your relationship with people and then behind the scenes there's just this ongoing back and forth with lawyers where it's like oh well we need to redraft this clause and then that takes like a week of back and forth and it just it always drags on more than you'd want it to um but i think at the end of the day it's just a it's a process that like covers both sides it's a weird process because it looks into like every area of things that could happen in like 10 mm. to 20 years of the business which can be a bit weird to think about because you end up discussing an edge case that's like nobody yeah. thinks will happen but you need to have something written down somewhere where if it did happen both sides are relatively happy with what would happen in that instance and that's such a just an annoying thing to do but like you just have to go through it um, so yeah, it, like we've, we've kind of been through it a few times now. It's a, it's an annoying process, but it's, uh, it just takes time and, uh, and isn't typically too. Well, one active. thing, which I feel like we are, at least I like always come away with at the end of these processes is how much that like contracts really are actually just about 
faith in the other party you know because mm. you can kind of you can secure every edge case but you know there are infinite edge cases and it's it's about the relationship yep. if anyone's interested in that there's a, a book called utopia by thomas moore where they talk about basically the idea that the existence of a contract is actually sometimes bad for relationships because it you know well, imply it like implies like mistrust obviously that's not the yep. case when you're signing up series a <laughs> you know round documents yep. but the yeah it's just it leaves you with like weird like legal opinions after having to go through it yeah. multiple times which i'm sure as vcs you you definitely have experienced yeah i, I mean on, so on, curious sorry. yeah sorry Kieran. i was just gonna say one final point on like the easiest way to do it from our perspective and, and from going through it a few times is like just the more honest you are with look this is what we just want to happen uh yeah. just yeah. by talking it, it makes the drafting process so much easier because then everyone knows what to expect when you do get into these weird edge cases you don't want to like realistically we've never ended we're not arguing anything here we're literally both sides will just say this is our like broad opinion on how this should work you know what the other side thinks and then typically you can sort of bake in all of that into the legal wording so that there isn't as much back and forth and then you're just minimizing the back and forth because there's no surprises everyone's like okay i know what your stance is we just need to get the right wording for it and then that's any discussion and back and forth we've had has always been actually we think this wording doesn't reflect what we discussed together and then you're like okay mm. no maybe it doesn't actually because we've worded it kind of poorly and we need to like make it reflect what we've already agreed basically got it and what was the the timeline from start to end uh from you know from starting the the process to actually having the money in the bank and everything being squared away overall overall probably three three months i think um maybe a little bit longer um yeah it was the process of actually like getting things agreed and sort of being like, yes, this is happening. And, and like Harry said, because so much of it is kind of like faith and relationship based, once you're at that stage, uh, if you trust the partners, you're like, yes, this is happening. Like whatever happens, yeah. we just have to go through this process. That was pretty quick. That was in the matter, in a matter of weeks. And then it was the the time to set up the legals and things. And then obviously time to sort bank accounts and being able to receive the funds. So there was no sort of like, requirement to rush from either side like we have mm. capital from our previous raises we weren't in a dire position we didn't need to bring the capital mm. on instantly so it was more of a just okay we'll get this administrative stuff out of the way like we won't, we don't need to like rush it through at the same time we'll start working together and we'll just start executing on the plan we've agreed um so yeah, yeah it was it probably dragged out just because it wasn't as high a priority for either side really yeah yeah if two sides <laughs> like each other you know it's sort of like you kind of you kind of it's almost like just like a like a instead of it being like this binary like zero or one it's just like a, a kind of float it's like a probability which is just slowly increased over time and then it reaches like 99.99 yeah. percent and you're like all right well it's just kind of formality now it's just kind yeah. of yeah yeah makes sense what what would you say and i think this would probably summarize some of the points before but what would you say are the most were the most challenging parts of this whole process for you in terms of the wider like market, you know, talking to different VCs, I think it would be having to turn down more traditional VCs that we mm -hmm. hadn't spoken enough to, but we highly respected. That was okay. the like weird one because it puts you in this strange situation where you're like, well, I actually respect the fund. I've known about them for like years and I'm, you know, we're talking to them and it just the stars aren't aligned for various mm -hmm. reasons right now. So that can that's a yeah that that's tough i think like the 
this again like as ben said it's like a champagne problem okay <laughs> but yeah. like it's you know a much tougher situation would be having no investors at all to, to even speak to but like the yeah basically having to make having to make decisions about not taking money can be as hard as like you know the other side yeah yeah i know of course i mean i think that that's that's what i was saying earlier that is it, it it sounds like a champagne problem but it is very stressful at the time when you're when you're when you're dealing with it um it's a, what, yeah it's a different what, type it's a different type of stress i'd say like it's kind of yeah. you because ben, ben and i you know, we started from like obviously like essentially zero like on the on the accelerator where, where we we got the kind of accelerator funding and then you know you kind of go out and remember in our first kind of round we, we spoke to you know over 100 investors and you know the type of stress you deal with it's a, it's a different genre of stress i think and then mm -hmm. yeah it, it's yeah yeah um my last question here would be what was was there any behavior that you saw from investors that you didn't particularly uh, thing was 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 right. I mean, I'm asking this question more in the sense that you know, if you were to give feedback to the investment community, what would you say that you noticed during this process that you yeah. you thought that maybe that wasn't really uh, called for and 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 it shouldn't be done? So I think in terms of the investors that we spent the most time with, if we look at it like in terms of you know minutes spent, the vast mm -hmm. majority of the minutes spent were with investors who were fantastic, and I think like. A number of the investors on our cap table and in Andreessen in particular were really good. And Andreessen did like a reverse pitch for us, which is something they do for their their new kind of um, investments, where they get everyone in, in every team in Andreessen Crypto to pitch you, uh, which is mm. which is interesting. Um, but outside of that, like in the wider market, we definitely came across some like bad actors. The two things which kind of come to mind, without naming names, would be people who try and basically emotionally. I don't like the word manipulate, but basically put you in a situation where the decision becomes less of like a business decision and more like an emotional decision. Mm -hmm. So someone saying like, if you don't let us invest or you don't let me invest, I might lose my job. Like that was something that we heard <laughs> in the round. Like in a, in a like serious, like not like a joke. Like it's like the person's like, I'm going to lose my job. And wow. that's like immediately every red flag you can imagine like just <laughs> run for the hills <laughs> but also kind of puts you in you know and you're in the middle of a fundraise you know as you see, all the stuff we've already been talking about in this process you're like you're dealing with and then on top of that now you're worried about making this person lose their job it can just be like a little bit uncalled for yeah. um i mean the second point i would say would be investors who have made bets in a space in companies which are basically too close to home who maybe don't mm. have the intention of actually investing but really just DDing you um DDing you for for information uh i think like there's a part of that which is like fair game in the sense that you know you go out to the market you're kind of flying a flag like people look at you and they go okay right that's fine and you know whatever but like it gets to a point where it's a bit like you know the information you're talking about essentially like kind of confidential and yeah. the honorable thing to do would be to not engage on the information uh yeah so yeah that is horrible behavior to be honest i've seen it many times i've seen it in conversations where competitive investments are not disclosed up front you know that that is that is completely completely um horrible 
I think I'd just add one one thing that we didn't see this round, um, but we've seen a lot in the past. And I think it, it happens a lot more at early rounds. Um, and it's something that founders, it's really hard for an, a, like a first time founder to deal with, which is investors just aren't incentivized to say no to you. And they won't mm. say no to you because the incentive from their side is to potentially invest in you in the future. If you haven't yeah. de-risked the investment um, enough for them, right now and they don't think anyone else is going to take it then the kind of the best like action for them is to just sort of keep you on ice uh, and mm. i think that can really really mislead early founders where they'll give you the kind of easiest reason why they're not going to invest right now the, the the reason that they think you will accept the easiest because that just makes the relationship smooth and it's kind of like the easiest thing for them to do but in that case i think early founders can get in this position where they think okay i just need to do that and then the investment gets unlocked. So I just need to get X traction or I just need to build the product out to this stage and then they'll invest. When in reality, they, they're not thinking about it like that. All they're thinking is, I don't want to do this now. Maybe mm. I'd do it in the future. It doesn't really benefit me to say objectively no now. So yeah. you're in this position where you're following signals that you think are real as a founder, but actually they're not real at all. They're just investors like a, a kind of saying no. And it's not, it's not necessarily bad on the investor because they're operating within a system which incentivizes that but i think the really good investors do know that and they do know to say okay i need to make a decision realistically i need to decide no or yes and mm. i need to tell the founders this because it's the it's the kind of more favorable thing for me to do for them um so yeah it's a bit of a bad actor thing but it's also absolutely systemic so <laughs> like yeah, i think founders so just need to understand it there's probably a, a second kind of version of that which is where they do actually like re reject you like straight up and they're just like you don't want it but they'll usually give a decision they'll give a reason which isn't the real reason where the real reason is actually i just don't believe in the founders and you know it's yeah. perfectly fair for investors not to believe in you know a couple of people that they've just met pitching them like a trillion dollar idea or whatever like you know it's probably like the the sensible opinion <laughs> to have but like the you know advice they do give as ben said you know when, when when you talk about like oh well if you hit these milestones let's talk again and it's kind of kind of fake met is not a real reflection of what they actually believe they could say well you know we don't think that this vertical is suitable for us right now or they could say something which isn't the real answer and then that yeah basically whenever an investor has rejected us my like i've always asked like are we just rejecting like us as people yeah. as opposed to the other reasons they might give and Having that critical eye, I think, can, can be helpful and it can avoid you kind of chasing after things which are irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about reputation, right? I mean, like this, uh, some of the best investors that I know, most of their deal flow comes from their either portfolio companies or even companies that they've passed on. Uh, if they've passed on in the right way, they can still have a very positive relationship with those founders going forward and, and, and kind of engage in other ways to collaborate, you know, and, and people just don't think that way um but yeah what 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 uh, what you were saying earlier the protracted maybe as it's known i mean investors like to keep their mm. options open and you get this protracted maybe when obviously the better thing to do is to just have a quick no um gents i know ben you gotta go so um this has been incredibly um interesting uh very excited to have had you on the second recording i, I really enjoyed the conversation